Thank you. It's kind of funny. I have. I know I have to labor through this message. But as we are singing, I just want more of Him. <laughs> you know, the part of God's creation is that His Word is alive, and we're supposed to utter and speak His message. So that's that's what we're supposed to uh, do as well. Today was a fantastic day. <laughs> you know, the days like goes like this. Sometimes they go like this. Sometimes, wow! You see the mountain, and you know you cannot achieve the mountains on your own, but God does it. He brings the mountains at times. To this week, I think the last three days, amazing. It's kind of like after Bob. I mean, how do you? How do you speak after Bob? <laughs> you know, yeah, Tuesday night, I, I can't recall. I mean, it's, that's one of the messages of history, <laughs> at least in my book. <laughs> Just amazing freedom, clarity, gifting. He lifted up who God is in a really meaningful way. In a way that it became practical for us. It allowed us to step out. And take some steps in faith and unity. And then see God actually work. See God actually deliver. He's able. He's capable. He's willing. He's just looking for his sons and daughter. To follow his promise. So Tuesday was fantastic. Yesterday was Bob's birthday. It was Nancy's birthday. I didn't know they had a birthday the same day. But now I know that. And today, man, I had scheduled a, a call with our attorney that's been guiding us through some significant processing with the state of North Carolina. And two minutes before my call with him, both him and I got an email from the state that granted us everything we dreamed about and wished for. And we couldn't have done it ourselves. Yes, we worked hard for it, but in the natural, it was not possible. There was three outcomes. In the natural, one, not so good at all. (laughs) But we believe that even in those circumstances, God will show us a way. There was a middle scenario that was a bit better. And then there was a third scenario that for whatever reason, we did not lose faith. We kept pushing, respectfully, but pushing, with honor, the best we could. And then, two o'clock before my call with the attorney, where we're going to discuss what's the next step, came this short email, one or two sentences. You have been granted this. You've been granted this. You've been granted this. All settled. 
freedom. We won't go into the details, but Davis called me. He was celebrating. (laughs) This is what he has been wishing for years, right? (laughs) But I think Tuesday was actually a watershed moment where we just stepped out in faith and laid it on the line and said, God, you are God. Government is government. We will honor government. But when there are times when there's conflict between those two, we follow God. And then at times he will actually speak to those in governing and change their mind. How often does that happen? That the bureaucracy actually change their mind, reconsider. (laughs) Only God can move mountains. That was a mountain. And all three elements were granted. So my quick response was, thank you. It has been an honor to work with you. And we will do the best we can to honor the state of North Carolina. That's what God does. This morning, uh, I went through the McDonald's drive-thru for breakfast. (laughs) And it turned into a holy moment. If I stay on track, (laughs) I will tell you what happened at the end of this evening. So we'll see if I can... (laughs) I'll see if I can keep on track. So this message actually started on Tuesday. I didn't know I was going to even talk tonight. But it started on Tuesday. Continued in our prayer meeting this morning. Uh, seeing you young people, dedicated, committed, walking in honor, triggered a message. So I just told Nick right after, if they, if they don't have someone for tonight, I, w- I will be willing to, uh, to share that. Uh, not sure exactly how to title it, but it kind of follows a little bit with uh, a couple, uh, maybe two weeks ago, when I did the first session on faith at work. There's some elements to that, but that's not totally it either. Uh, perhaps getting a little closer, building bridges, or pursuing pearls of holy moments. But maybe the core of it is a word that your generation, and maybe my generation as well, don't use. We have forgotten it, or we never learned it. We may have to go back to our grandparents' generation, maybe even before that, uh, to find people that truly understood it. So we're going to go a little deep tonight, but I've seen you listen with Gene, I've seen you listen with Bobby. I think you're becoming a generation of leaders that can actually take some meat and not just surface ice creams and coffee it's all good but sometimes we need a little more substance 
So I've seen you grow in that, so I'm encouraged that uh, you won't be scared as we go through Scripture and actually uh, deal with that. Uh, I'm not going to be, don't think I'm hopping around from book to book, because the Bible is not meant to be chronological. You know, the, the Bible is a book of mysteries, it's linkage from book to book, verses. So as we go from book to book, that doesn't mean that we're hopping around. Right. We are actually looking more in depth uh, along <coughs> a message. But I'll ask you a question first, and don't try to answer verbally, uh, because there's probably four answers and three of them are not good. But I just want you to think about it. Are you perfect? How would you answer that? No. You can answer out of arrogance. That's, that's a fault. You can answer out of ignorance. That you really never thought of such a disturbing question. Are you perfect? You can answer out of a mindset of depression. Which is actually... Deception is actually a lie. Or you can answer the only way that's proper. Where your value is not determined by you. But you actually are perfect. Go to Psalm 139.14. I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What does that tell you? It tells you you are perfect. God doesn't make something wonderfully that is not perfect. So, the term or the word that we haven't practiced for a long time if you go back to the early church, the early Christians, if you go back 100 years ago, you will find that in churches, in songs, the pursuit of holiness. How often do we speak about holiness? That's a word we don't use. Why don't we use it? Could it be because we don't believe it? That we don't have a concept for it all? Could it be that it's scary? Because we think and we bought the lie that you cannot attain holiness, so therefore you don't do it. And you live in the shallowness of misery and despair and loss instead of Victory. I picked up a little book here recently. It's titled, The Biggest Lie in the History of Christianity. By Matthew Kelly. And that's part of his message. That for a long time, we are living the shallow version. Because we don't understand that he's calling us to... Pursue a holy life. 
There's an illustration in the book of a business owner. Very successful, had a big business. Years goes. Now he gets into significant difficulties. The, the business is at risk. The jobs is at risk. So he's pondering, how do we get out of this? So he schedules an employee meeting. So he's at home preparing a message, a speech to his employees. In the middle of his process, as he gets going, his wife comes and says, I have an important errand. Can you take care of Junior for a couple hours? So he's, he, uh, he's tempted to say, Honey, I'm preparing my talk for tonight. I'm busy. I don't have time for it. But he bites his tongue and decides to spend some time with his young son. So he's trying to figure out how can I prepare my talk and keep my five-year-old or young boy active, not bored. How do you do that with a toddler? While you're trying to prepare a major talk. So he sees the young boy play with a magazine. Pay a little attention to it. But not significantly. So dad walks over and looks at the magazine. And see a very colorful picture of the world. A map of all the countries. With all of the colors. He takes that page. And rips it. In as many little pieces that he could, it becomes a puzzle. Then he tells his son, his son, why don't you play with that? And if you can put it together, I will give you $25. <laughs> of course, the young man says, thank you, Dad. I can use that to buy some toys. So the son takes all those little pieces and goes into a side room. Fifty minutes later... He comes back and says, Dad, I got it. Dad is totally shocked. How did he do that? And the son says, well, you know, I looked at the picture before. And on the other side of it, there was a picture of a man. I just flipped all the puzzle pieces and put together the man. And here's the map. The point that dad saw right away, if you focus on the man, if you focus on God, if you focus on the God-man, the rest of your world will come together. You will see how you are, and you will see how the wolf is together, if you focus on the man, the God, the God-man. Get him right. And everything else will come together. Your value, your salvation, your dignity, as we learned from Bob earlier, is not determined by your actions. You're wonderfully made by who made you. That's where your value is. But your personal fulfillment in life, your purpose, your enjoyment is determined by how you serve others. 
So you get that. Your dignity comes from your maker. Your self-worth, your purpose, your calling comes from how you serve others. Part of that deals with holiness. That you are pursuing moments in life. Holiness is not that you're going to be perfect. When you look at giants of faith, the, the history of giants, they were not perfect. They had moments when they fell. They had moments when they were not their best. But they had moments when they were in the zone. They were, they were God moments. And that's what the practical approach to holiness is not that you have to figure out how you're going to be perfect in everything. But you can start with one moment. Tonight, tomorrow, maybe just one moment a day. Where you know you are at the point that you are connected with your maker. And you are walking out in front of your neighbors. And you are living you're experiencing a holy moment or a pearl. It's, it's kind of like you're putting together small moments by moments. And as you grow and mature, vice, bad habits, becomes virtue and good habits. What takes a lot of work now becomes easier and more natural because you're putting these pearls Together, one by one. And as you mature, your life becomes to have more and more pearls. Not because you had to get it perfect, but you have moments, you have history of revelation, or when you do little things for, for somebody. We cannot escape slander. But we can walk over it. We can bridge over it. We cannot escape sin, but we can bridge over it. We can seek help. We can overcome addictions. We can overcome bad habits. And we can let grace cover us in those moments where we are not as good as we should have been. And we can walk in light. Pursuing the holy moments, the pearls, where every little pearl becomes part of your life and you're slowly improving. And as you are improving, every time you improve, you are helping your friend, you're helping your wife, your husband, your children, and everyone in the community. Every improvement you do has actually Everlasting value. Good moments don't go away. They are in the memory bank. They help you to create another good moment. And they influence somebody else. So they don't go away. They, they continue to accumulate uh, goodness. We cannot escape what we are hearing in culture what we are witnessing around us in terms of brokenness, 
We cannot escape the judging that happens all over currently, particularly now, where every structure from government to family to education, everything is being judged by culture. And there's no solution. There's just judging, judging, judging. That's the culture at large. That's not the godly culture. Godly culture says if something is broken, if something is not perfect, you don't kill it, you don't burn it, you improve it. Holy moments by holy moments, you make it better step by step. So how do we bridge? And what is the bridge? What we learned so clearly on Tuesday is that the bridge is the cross. That is where eternity, infinity, love, justice, perfection, goodness meets sin, hate, injustice. That's the moment in our history that transitioned from judgment to love and overcoming. And the bridge, of course, is Christ. Mm -hmm. But the revelation we got on Tuesday was the value that the cross is so much more powerful than maybe we realized. It is not only about, thank you God for salvation. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's not just about salvation and now I go to my cabin for the next 20 years and I isolate myself from everything around and just wait for the rapture. (laughs) You know, that's not what salvation is. Salvation took you out of something to give you a fulfilled life to pursue. So it doesn't negate. It actually goes like this. So just look at the fantastic story of what God does. And sometimes I think you have to put yourself in a box and really think about, is this real? Imagine, you know, we can hear, we can read Isaiah 57, 15. God is outside of time. He inhabits eternity. He lives in the high and the holy place. You know, later or in chapter 45, my hand stretches out the heavens, space and time. So this uh, Trinity, this God, what did he do? He broke all the rules. He broke all of the creative order. When he came as the Son of Man, He broke the law of space. He broke the law of time. He broke the law of math, the language of the universe. He broke the law of biology, how life becomes. He broke all of these things that he had created 
and broke them without wrecking and transcended from the all high and became a human and walked among us on our streets. How do you tell us? How do you, how do you write a story like that? How do you imagine? Imagine that story you can't do because it's out of this world. No one can craft a story like that where the highest chooses to break his creative order to become man. And then he walks amongst us, amongst men and women. He meets them on the street and he lifts them up. When he met Mary, he said, who has not, whoever has not sinned can cast a stone. When no, no one did it, he said, stand up and sin no more. He knew, of course, God or Jesus knew that Mary was not perfect. She was going to do other sins later on. But he said, don't sin some more. There was a particular sin that she was accused of. And he told her, don't do that anymore. Walk, walk in freedom. The point was that once we become born again, we know ourselves when we do something wrong that we, should, that we shouldn't do. And the Holy Spirit will judge us, will call us on it. So if our spirit is sensitive, we will know it and we will repent and we will overcome. We won't be perfect, but we are pursuing holy moments, building pearls in our life that are meaningful, that are good as you mature. Jesus is the bridge. He's our path where we can travel from shadow land to the new Jerusalem. C.S. Lewis said that we are not called for this world. We were made for a different world. That world is coming. It's promised to us that God will make us, will make a new heaven, a new earth. That's part of his, uh, his story. But I think to understand that cross, this is where we travel you know, a little bit through, through the books. We see in Genesis, as we all read, that God concluded it is all very good, his creation. It's all very good. Then we go through the, the experience of, of leaving or, or, or rebelling and, and rejecting. And then we, we have this God-man that broke all the laws, entered this world, walked our streets, and took our place. And we can see the, the story as Jesus went through in John 17, 4, before he was at the cross, but he was approaching it. He said, it's all done. It is finished. 
My work is finished. He still had the cross ahead of him, but it was predictive. He knew where he was going, and he declared, it's finished. And in his final moments, where God now as the second Adam, he's at the, on the tree. All the injustice, all the unfairness, everything we see through history or around us, all of those things that we can throw at God. Why did you make this earth? Why did you give us free choice? Why do you allow this? There he is. Right there. The one that made it all. There he is. To take it. Give it. Give it to him. Everything. He takes it. He came in brokenness to restore everything. So everything we see around us that's broken is restored. He lives outside of time. So for God, it's, it's already restored. We may not see it yet, but it will be restored in the fullness of time. Because that's how he is. He takes everything that's broken and he restores it to original design, original uh, purpose. We read in Revelation 3.20, there he stand again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whose door is he knocking? He's knocking on the door of the faithful. Not the unbelievers. He's knocking on your door. That's really what he want. You were made... Not to live by yourself. You, we see the Trinity in human life. We are not made to live by ourselves. We are made to live in family, in community. But that's not it either. That's only part of the story. We are made to be with others and with Him. Our Creator, our Maker, our our. A savior and the one that's going to give us fulfillment in life. So that's why he, he says, I stand at your door, at your heart, and knock. Open up. You as Christian, as believer, he wants to walk with you as you go through life. I'm going to read a couple of verses in... Uh, Thessalonians, this may be a little heavy meat, but sometimes we, sometimes we have to do that. So I'm going to deal with Paul's plea for purity. You're not going to be perfect. And we all fall at times. But we need to have a mindset to pursue a standard that's higher than culture. Higher expectation. Because we are made not to be at the lowest level of culture. We are made to pursue something higher. 
So chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Your, sanctifica- your sanctification, which is holiness, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification, sanctification and honor, and not in passion or lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Us knowing God we ought to have a higher standard, a higher expectation in how we live ourselves. And this is not only to please God, but it's so that we can live better lives ourselves, individually and with those that we love. God does not give us rules for the sake of rules. He gives us direction so we can live better more complete lives than otherwise. So, as we continue this section of Paul is teaching, that no one should take advantage or of and defraud, defraud his brother. And in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. So when something goes wrong, when someone does you wrong, it's not our role to revenge. Leave that to God. When we take that role, we cause more destruction. For God did not call us to uncleanness, uncleanliness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us His Holy Spirit. And then He gives us the encouragement. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for yourself are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so towards all the brethren who are all in Macedonia. So that's a basic principle that Paul is giving us here. Don't be like the culture. (coughs) Pursue a life in holiness, including how you relate with others in your life. Being girlfriend, boyfriend, husband and wife. Pursue a life of purity because it's good for you. So as we continue, God gives us mercy when we fall. Every time we see Jesus interact with with true sinners, without I mean ordinary people that don't have an agenda of falsehood or preaching false uh, religion, when God, when Jesus meeting ordinary people ordinary sinners, every conversation, every interaction, it was uplifting. He was setting them free. At the same time, he was challenging them, challenging them to virtue. Pursue a better version of yourself. Your salvation, your dignity does not come from that, but your self-worth, your fulfillment comes from how you pursue life. 
there's a, there's, you know, the story of David is probably one of the most unique stories. And the Bible is so honest about each human life described in the Bible. So we know, we know that David, he was, God said, he's a, he's a man after my own heart. We also know that David plotted, orchestrated, to kill his general, his friend, because he lusted after his wife. So imagine this, this king, this shepherd, his story. A man after God's heart and how he fell. But in spite of that, his life is still a life of virtue through it all. So if David can be seen by God as a man after his heart, it tells us that there's nothing we can do at the maximum ill that God cannot, through His grace, provide forgiveness through. So when we feel that our enemy or our own voice is telling us you're not worth something, that's a lie. That's deception. Because he has made you wonderfully. And he's not asking you to be perfect because we are humans. But he's asking you to follow your conscience. And as you live life, look for those pearl moments. Those holy moments in your life. And as you string them together, you will become more mature. And confident in how you're living life out. And someday people will tell you that's an amazing family. That's an amazing wife. That's an amazing husband. Because they are seeing the pearls that you are putting together. David. You know, he's the author of some of the some of the verses in in Psalm. There's an interesting segment that speaks about the shadow of death in chapter twenty-three. And normally, because of how the Bible is translated to English, normally we think of those verses only from the perspective of <coughs> death. But when you read in the original language and look at how that verse uh, is set up in context with the preceding chapters and the following chapters, it will actually give us a much more practical and richer uh, dimension. To Psalm 23, the shadow of death. In Hebrew, it means salma wet, which is darkness. It means darkness or dark shadow. The interpreter 
have translated that only to the shadow of death. But the original meaning is actually richer. It has a dual application that goes beyond death, but also life as we know it. If you look at the preceding chapter, it's a prophetic chapter that talks about the foretelling of Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross. It speaks about in 22.1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's in Psalm. In verse 16, it talks about, They pierced my hand, they pierced my feet. In verse 18, they divided my garments. This is a prophetic message in, 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 in Psalm. Then we get to the, 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 the verse of the shadow of death. And in the next verse, it speaks about that we will be sitting at the table in presence of my enemies. If he's talking about only what happens after death, how come we are sitting at a table surrounded by our enemies if he's speaking only about death or what happens after death I think actually David is speaking about actually what's happening here and now that whatever darkness whatever challenges whatever problems you have in life today you are not walking alone. He is with you. Your maker is walking with you. And at the very end, in this segment, as we, as we move on from the shadow of death, the psalmist finds himself in chapter 25, 5. And he says, let me in your truth and teach me. For you are God of my salvation. Oh, you, I will wait all day. So I think what you have here is is the story of not only is he describing that what can happen in the transition through death, but in the shadows of today, of the life you are living, he is right there with you. And if we can have the attitude of expectation, that all I want is to wait all day for his presence. To know him. To know your maker. The one that came. Outside of space. (laughs) We cannot craft that story. The one that made us. Redeemed us. Overcame our injustice. Now he's calling us to relationship. 
And he's calling us to walk with him. And to look for a life where you have small moments of pearls that you're putting together. That's holiness. When you're pursuing him. Not in human perfection. But you're looking for those God moments. And you're letting his spirit and his truth in his book. This is a living book. That if you read it, it will speak to you. It's not a book written by man. This book has full of prophecies to give you the confidence it is not a book written by man. So if you study it, you will see the whole Bible be intermingled in concept, traveling through time with prophetic the messages of what's coming to give you confidence that you can trust it. It's not a book that you choose. I like this, but I don't like that. That's not how God works. He will give you the full story of what it means to live a fulfilling life. He gives you every chapter in life, everything that will impact your life. You can discover Sometimes as secrets to be revealed to his sons and daughters, the princess and the princesses, you know, it's there. So where do they start? In my message today, I started at McDonald's, right? It was funny. It was one of those God moments where I did nothing, but somebody else did something before me. So I drove up, ordered my breakfast, and the lady said, someone paid for your meal. Do you want to pay for who's coming after you? And you're actually number 13. I said, of course. Thank you. I don't know how, how far it went, But that's just a little example when humans, animals don't do that. Only humans have the ability to transcend or think about helping someone in a different country or in the line that you don't know. I did not know the person ahead of me. I didn't know the person behind me. But humans can do that because we are made in His image. It's the same way there are times that we live our lives on the shoulders of your generation. In many cases, we don't even know those that walk ahead of us, but we are walking in their blessings. And someday... People will follow you that will never know you. And they will walk in the steps that you prepared. And tonight, this week, the next few weeks, we have a little example. With those of you that have been a couple years or a few months visiting, you are setting the stage. You are crafting the culture, the atmosphere of those that are going to come and join us. 
And as you help them, you will help them so they can do the same thing a year or two years from now. That is how God's order works. That we are blessed by those we didn't know. And once in a while, we meet you. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And the same thing goes for Bobby and Jean, that generation. Thank you when we can see you. And let us be people of same caliber that we elevate our lifestyle, our habit, our virtues, how we conduct itself with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, with your friends in such a way that's honorable to you, to your next, and to your God. And if we do so, we will experience what in the old days they call revival or awakening. There's no mystery about that. It's so simple that if we humble ourselves and say, God, I want more of you. I will wait all day for more of your presence. With that attitude, he will chisel all the things we are holding on to that we don't want to let go. And he will show you it's time to let it go. It's time to walk away. It's time to turn around and be done with it. And then walk into fulfillment and purpose and growth. I think you're an amazing group of young people. At the prayer meeting today, and I've seen it before. Uh, Man, I'm so blessed. Just to be in your presence. This is not normal. It's way above normal. And I don't think you even see it. And it's not perfect, and we are transitioning, but your heart is ready for him. I know you want him. And as you do, he will meet you where you are and help you to overcome whatever you are carrying that you need to leave behind. Thank you, guys.